Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. Join us now as Pastor Keith shares today's message. Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. It's great to be with you uh, this morning. And, um, you know, as we prayed for those who lost their dads, I was reminded not only did Pastor John Warnock's father, uh, Rick Warnock, pass away this past year, I think we've had at least two more of our staff members who lost their dads, maybe more than that this year. So it's been very close uh, to a bunch of us, and, uh, and I know it is to many here. But some of us who lost their dads 10 years ago, seems like 10 days, doesn't it? Something, something else. But there's great hope and hope in the gospel, and that's why we're here. One of the reasons we uh, uh, hang on to Jesus is He makes sure we'll see Him again. And um, yay, yay, rejoice in the hope of the gospel. Well, uh, I, I, I want you to take your note sheet, Dogwood Notes, out of your uh, bulletin and uh, look at them, and I want you to take your pen I want you to mark through the title of the message. That's not what I'm going to teach today. I want you to mark through the text. It's not what I'm going to teach today. Um, we're going to move that. That's coming next week. So you get to how to hang out with sinners and why you should. I know that's no trouble for a bunch of you. So, um, but uh, come on, we're going to talk about it anyway and why you should, why you should, the right reasons and the right way to go about it next week. Now, I want you to write in a new title, and it's this. Becoming a good, good father. Becoming a good, good father. And the text, the scriptures that we're going to, uh, is in Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. And so I want to give you time to turn, take your uh, hard copies of your Bibles, if you have those, digital copy, if you've got one of those, turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Remember, we use them each week. Why? Because you need to learn how to feed yourself. Uh, and uh, and we, we use the Scriptures, we teach them in such a way uh, that um, you can feed yourself. In fact, the great way to do this is to listen and take notes as if you're going to pass these along to your children or to your brother, or to your best friend, uh, because you should, be doing, you, know, you should do that anyway. That's why God gives you uh, insight. So let's go, at it, um, let's go at it that way. And I want to talk to you today. I don't, always, I don't always address fathers from the Scriptures on Father's Day. We always celebrate fathers, pray for fathers. But today we're going to, and I'm taking you to a passage that was not uh, written directly to uh, or exclusively to fathers, or men, or fathers-to-be. It applies to every one of us uh, in this room, but it has much to say to those of us who are fathers, or grandfathers, or fathers-to-be, about how to become a good, good father. And so um, we're going to go to this passage. This is God's Word. You read along as I read uh, aloud. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Do everything without grumbling, in arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. Hold firmly to the message of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. This is God's Word. 
Now here's the setting. The Apostle Paul, over 2,000 years ago, was inspired by God the Holy Spirit to pen these words uh, in a letter form to the Christians, the first Christians ever in the city of Philippi, which was a uh, in Macedonia was a uh, Roman colony about 800 miles to the east of Rome. Again, he's writing back to that first ever, first and only church at that time in Philippi. Brand new Christians uh, about the Christian faith, what to be- what to believe, and how to live in light of the truth of the gospel. And in one of the sections of the letter, he 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 highlights how to become the kind of person, not just fathers, not just men, not just dads to be, but all of us who are followers of Christ, how to become the kind of person that God wants us to be, the kind of person that stands above the crowd, the kind of person that rises above the norm, the kind of person that shines like, stands out like stars against a dark night. How do we become that, that kind of uh, person? And why? Well, this has much to say to us fathers about how to become a good, good father, fathers-to-be, dads-to-be. And um, so we're going to take a look at that. So we're going to learn how to rise above the norm, how to stand out in the crowd in such a way that we are, we are admired, actually, by God. Not only by God, but by our sons and our daughters. Now, how many of you from Alabama, like me, that will admit it? You were born in Alabama... Okay, yeah, I was to, well, not many of you. How, how many of you know the the uh, early morning radio duo, Rick and Bubba? How many know Rick and Bubba? Well, a few of you. The rest of you need to check them out online. Uh, funny, funny. They're, they're probably the best-known morning drive-time radio show in the state of Alabama. They're both Christians. Very entertaining, very funny. Um, and uh, uh, the other day, they declared on their show that uh, common sense is now a superpower in our culture. So, 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 so when I say to, <laughs> to rise above the norm, you know, it's pretty easy because the bar is really low when it comes to men, when it comes to the behavior of men, dads, fathers, as a general rule in our culture. Uh, but but um, uh, God wants us not just to be a step above mediocre, he really wants us to shine like stars against a dark night for all the right reasons. And so here we go. So men, when it comes to being this kind of father to your children, you can rise above the norm if you'll first of all do this. Write this down. Happily obey Jesus. That's, I know that sounds like the Sunday school answer, but you know Sunday school answers are not always wrong. Happily obey Jesus. Here's what he says here. Look at verse 14. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, this is not a passage that's just dealing with our attitude. Some of you some of you here were born with a natural disposition to be positive, and um, uh, the glass is, all, is, is at least half full, and if it's empty, it's just because you're about to get another good something to drink. I mean, you know, you're just really, you're really positive. Others of us uh, were born with a more negative, uh, melancholy disposition. Doesn't matter. He circles, he says, oh, everybody, no, do everything without grumbling or arguing. He's not just speaking here about the issue of attitude. He's speaking about the issue of attitude when it comes to obedience to Christ. 
Because back up in verse 12, he's already said to the the Christians in the church at Philippi, he said, I've always rejoiced that you have always obeyed. He means always obeyed God, always obeyed Jesus. Ever since you become a follower of Jesus, you desired to obey Him. You were eager to obey Him. You were known for obeying Him. And he said, I'm excited that you've always obeyed Him, not only in my presence, but at all at all times. Now, we there's a few pastors in this room and, and a few retired pastors uh, who can understand this. We have this phenomenon that sometimes we'll walk into an establishment or walk into the in places where people are kind of misbehaving or saying bad things, and they see us and they freeze and they suddenly change their behavior. It's really kind of fun. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's kind of funny uh, as well. And, but, because, but it's always been so strange to me. I'm saying, okay, now God is all-knowing, right? And God is all-present, right? And, and God, is, He knows everything. He's right there. He is right there. God, he is right, and he's he's right there. And I'm not always pastors aren't always right there. It doesn't really matter. So why do you care what a pastor would think when you couldn't? You don't care what God thinks. So it's kind of funny. So, but anyway, Paul was saying to them, you know, I'm not there with you, but I always admire you that you're. You know, you're not. It isn't about obeying me or looking good in my eyes. You have always obeyed, and you keep on obeying him, whether I'm with you or not. Yay! Way to go! Way to go! And so he's already talked to them about obedience. So then he comes with this exhortation one verse later in verse 14 and says, So, do all things. In other words, he says, Obey Jesus without grumbling or arguing. He said, It's not just enough to obey Christ. There's a certain attitude we must have. And he says, Here's the attitude. Here's how we go about it. Here's the proper attitude. He says, We're to be happily submissive and eager to serve and please our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, do, do so without grumbling or disputing. Because, you know, you know, you've heard the saying, it's the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. You know, that's not always true. Sometimes it gets replaced. Many times it does. Uh, so watch your attitude toward the things of God that tend to trouble you and you tend to want to push back on. Be very careful about that because your attitude may hurt more than the thing. Uh, Grumbling and complaining toward God requires no talent. It requires no self-denial. It requires no brains, no intelligence. It requires no character. No character. Now the word grumbling, circle that word grumbling in your Bible in verse 14. Do everything without grumbling. That is... Uh, how many, we got any English teachers in the room? Okay, they're tired, school's just out. And so uh, uh, I, I'm related to, to a few English teachers, and so you'd know this term. This, this word is an onomatopoetic word. That means it's a word that sounds like what it is, like, uh, like the word hum. That's a hum, That's a, it, it sounds like what it is, or hiss, it sounds like what it is. It, uh, this is the same, grumbling, it's translated murmuring. Sounds like what it is. He says, don't be grumbling against Jesus. Don't be murmuring against uh, Jesus. It, refer, and it refers to the inward state of our mind, how we reason, how we rationalize with Jesus when we tend not to want to obey Him. It means to inwardly protest. It means to inwardly whine against. It means to inwardly nitpick. It means to inwardly object against Jesus. 
But God does not want men, God does not want men, women, or anyone who calls His name followers to argue with Him, to resist Him. He wants us to eagerly listen to Him and do what He says instead with an attitude of praise and eagerness. It's the attitude of waking up, Lord, I don't know what you have for me today, but the answer is yes. Where where do I stand? What do I do? Where do I go? How do I obey? It's the predisposition of saying yes to God. Saying yes to God. And He knows. He knows. He already knows. We are... It's not only that we are willing, it's that we are pursuing. We want to know what He wants to do. And we are after Him. We are begging Him. What, no, what next? What, what now? What can I do? It's, it's, it's an eagerness and a joy uh, to serve, love, and obey God. Now, here's the question. Do you, do you have any interest in obeying Jesus? I fear that for some of us, it's not even a tick on our clock. That you never think about it. I, I'm thinking about it now. I'm in church talking about it. But I mean, do you have no no interest? Now, I'm not saying that sometimes we as Christians uh, don't have difficulty obeying Him. But we're not okay internally with ourselves when we do. There's a, there is at least some level of... If you have absolutely no interest in Jesus, even if you call yourself a Christian if you have no interest or no eagerness to obey Him, that's just doing your own thing, and oh yeah, there's Jesus, yeah, and remember that, then you've got to ask the question, you might not be a Christian. I can't say, only Jesus can say, but you might not have ever been reborn. And so, I think I'd check that out. That's a dangerous position to, to be in. And so, uh, this is the grumbling that goes on in the human heart in rebellion against God's will. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I'm joining the Marines. You know, it's like that kid in high school who said that one day. And so, um, it, it, but, but no, as a rule, you know, the reason that we, we do this is because we don't love Jesus. Now, as a rule, you'll find that those who complain about the way the ball bounces in their life, are usually the ones who dropped it. And so you may have dropped the ball when it comes to this relationship with Christ. Nothing is more, there are things that are displeasing to God. Nothing is more displeasing to Him than His own children who grumble against Him. I don't want to obey, obey you. I don't want to do it. So, so to rise above the norm, become a father um, that God and your children, your sons and daughters, uh, admire. We've got to happily obey Jesus. Happily. Now the word arguing, do all things without arguing, it's the, it's the disputing, it's the quarreling, it's the fighting, it's the disagreeing, it's the, it's the outward expression of the inward grumbling. It, mean, it means when grumbling starts toward obeying Jesus on the inside, it eventually comes out. It cannot help but come out and people can see it and people can hear it. And others can observe it, not just, not just God. It's easily observable in us. Inward grumbling always leads to external rebellion against God and His will for our lives. Now, I, I, I hear, mostly I hear it from young adults, college, age-ish. And it's kind of this thing. Said, yeah, I know one day I want to follow Jesus, but you know, I'm just not interested right now. I kind of want to do my own thing. 
I don't know whatever I don't know what you are, but you're not a Christian. Because you have you you can easily say, Oh yeah, I'll come back to that, but you know, for right now I'm gonna do Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You might rebel and run, but you can't do it flippantly. You can't do it with no regret. You can't do it with no conviction. Because you are, if you're a child of God, there's a loving Heavenly Father pursuing you. Pursuing you. It shows up on the, out, on the outside. And so the Scripture says we're not to do that. Instead, we are to happily obey Jesus. Happily obey Jesus. So, so dads, fathers, and fathers-to-be, if you want to rise above the norm, if you want to stand out in a crowd and be the kind of man, the kind of father that your children, not only your children, but God Himself says He admires and holds in high regard, you must, it begins with happily obeying Jesus. So well now, now why do we obey Him? Well, here's why we don't obey Him. This is not, here's, here's not the, we don't obey Jesus so that He will then accept us. We don't obey Jesus so that He will then forgive us. We don't obey Jesus so that then He will give us His gift of eternal life. No, 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 no. You see, you don't clean up your act and then Jesus accepts you. Christianity says Jesus accepts you and then you clean, your act cleans up. See, we don't obey Him in order to earn points with Him. We obey Him, these Scriptures say here, so that He may change us for the better and bless us. Look at this. If you do so, if you happily obey Jesus, write this down, number two, you will become a good person inside and out. Inside and out. Look at verse 15. So that, obey Him, so that you may be blameless and pure. Blameless and pure, inside and out. Speaks of ethics, speaks of character, speaks of more morality, moral reasoning and living. Uh, you know, it's no news that we are in a moral crisis in our country it's no, and in our world. It's no news that we're in an ethical, moral, spiritual revolution and therefore a crisis. And, and there is much moral and ethical uh, confusion in our culture, in all realms, in family, in marriage, in uh, ideas about... Uh, human dignity and, and the sanctity of human life and biomedical ethics and and uh, just I mean all over we're and we're all upside down on on these things a lot of confusion a lot of confusion in the newspapers in the magazines in the newscasts and uh, for for much of our culture who do not profess to know Christ that that should not be a surprise and it's not a surprise to me but where I have become surprised over the last few months. Is the, is the elevation of the um, expression of this belief among people who claim to be followers of Christ uh, when it comes to uh, po- our political candidates. Not just for president, but we've been electing councilmen and uh, commissioners and congressmen and you know, commanders-in-chief. And he- here's the statement I hear. Character doesn't matter. I'm hearing that from Christians. And it shows up like this in the presidential race. Well, you know, we're not electing a pastor-in-chief. We're electing a commander-in-chief. Yeah. So you said character doesn't matter. No, all that's saying is pastors and commanders-in-chief have different job responsibilities. But the Scriptures, if you're a follower of Jesus, from Genesis to Maps... It says whether you're the commander-in-chief or a congressman or a commissioner 
or a city councilman or the cat keeper at the Neighborhood Humane Society. Character matters. Character matters. And buddy, when it comes to a father, when it comes to being a father, a grandfather, a dad-to-be, a man in this world, character matters. We are, we are, we are Christians. I'm just talking to Christians now. You, you, got to, you got to throw the book away to say character doesn't matter in a human being. I don't know what, you, you can't, you, it's, it is, that is not the biblical worldview. That is not the way of God. Because from start to finish, he gives us example after example after example after example, teaching after teaching after teaching after teaching, exhortation, exhortation, rebuke after rebuke through the scriptures about people's character. Any questions? So when it comes to be a dad, we need, how do we get a good character? How do we get a good character? We get it. We begin by happily obeying Jesus. And when we do, He puts us in a position to be transformed by the power of His grace and the power of His Holy Spirit. And He changes us from the inside out. He, give, he takes our rotten, ruined, sinful hearts and gives us a new heart. A new heart. He says, so that you may be blameless and pure. A pure heart and a blameless life. Now that word pure means innocent. It means harmless. It means without mixture. It, is a, it, it was an ancient uh, term used in, in metallurgy to describe um, the purity of, of refined gold and silver. Pure inner life. He's speaking about the inner life. Morally, ethically, spiritually good heart. Free from hypocrisy. An undivided heart. A way of living that is consistent with God's will and ways and values and truth as revealed in the Scriptures. That our living goes with our believing and our believing goes with God. Goes with God. There is, there is a pure uh, heart. So, so why do we need for God to give us pure hearts? Because only He can. We can't do it our, ourselves. Because we have ruined hearts. Sin-stained hearts. Hearts, broken hearts. If we're not believers, we come to Him. And then once we come to Him, He spends the rest of our life renovating. He gives us a new heart and He renovates our heart. He renovates our heart. The Bible says it this way in Isaiah 29, 13. Isaiah 29, 13. You can look it up for yourself later. The Lord said, These people approach me with their mouths to honor me with lip service. Yet their hearts are far from me. So it's possible to go through the motions. It's possible to be in church. But your heart, far from, far from, I said, you're, you're, not, you're not in the kingdom. Years ago, this happened more than once, I had an adult, had a man tell me that, uh, come see me as a pastor, you know, I've been having trouble with my, he said, I've met another woman and we're in love and I've prayed about it. And I'm going to leave my wife and family and go, said, who'd you pray to? Because you didn't get an answer from God if he said yes. You, I don't, what you, pray? you don't have to pray about, sin, about disobey, disobeying God. You don't have to pray about disobeying God. Well, in a few weeks I looked up, I was up on the platform, we were still singing, and I looked over here and the fellow's out here and he's singing, oh, you're a God, you know, I give my life to you and singing to God. I want to say, stop the music! 
What are you doing? You're, you're, you th- really? You're worshiping. You know, worship is submission to the will and the ways of God. And he, he said, wait a minute, I'm going to disobey you, but boy, the music's good. No, 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 no. You, you come to give me, honor me with lip service, but your hearts are far from me. See, we need, we need help. We need new hearts. And it only comes through faith in Christ. He's the only one who can do this. In, in Matthew 15, 18, the Scriptures say, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a man. Mark seven twenty one says, for from within, out of people's hearts, Come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, and murders. Only Jesus can give us pure hearts. When we recognize I am in trouble, I have a dead sinful heart, I am dead in my trespasses and sins, who can deliver me from this body of death? Jesus can, and we run to Him. It's why King David prayed in Psalm 51, one year after his terrible sin of adultery with Bathsheba. Bathsheba, one year after his terrible sin of having her husband murdered. One year after a a year-long deception of of the people and running from God, he repented. And in that prayer of repentance in Psalm 51, he prayed this in verse 10, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me because... A pure heart produces a blameless man. A good heart inner life produces a, a good man on the outside. See that word blameless? It means to be outwardly above accusation. It's a word that means, uh, that means to, to live life outwardly in a way such as to cause no one to stumble. But to be an attractive life, to, to attract life people to... To Christ, It means to live in such a way that there's no hint of hypocrisy, in a way that we're free from accusation. Not perfect, we're not going to be perfect until we get into heaven, but that the, 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 the posture of our life is running toward Christ. You see, morally good fathers, morally good fathers come from good hearts. Ethically good fathers come from good hearts. Spiritually good fathers come from good hearts. Morally good people have good hearts. Ethically good people have good hearts. Spiritually good people have good hearts. A pure heart produces a blameless father. A good, good father. A good, good father. That's the change that happily obeying Jesus out of love and gratitude for His amazing grace and salvation in our lives. That's what He will do in us. Change us from the end side out. And so that we live consistently. There's no compromise with our inner convictions. If you go back to the Old Testament in the book of Daniel, you'll find in the first chapter that, Dan, that uh, the, um, uh, the Jewish people were, because of the nation's disobedience to God, were overrun by the Babylonians and taken into captivity. The Babylonian exile, it's called. King Nebuchadnezzar was the Babylonian king. And one of the practices that this would happen when the Babylonians would take over a people is they'd go pick the brightest and the best out of the young people and say, "Come come serve the king. Well, they picked Daniel and some of his friends because it says they were they were intellectually sharp, they were socially uh, adept, uh, they were good-looking in stature. He said, that's just the kind of men I want serving in my court. So get those young boys, let's... Bring him into my school. Brought him in. He's a young man, follower of the God of the Bible. And so, uh, among other things, there was a, a, a teacher, a mentor put over these young men 
First day he comes in and says, now here's the diet that the king wants you to, to eat. Long story short, it was, it was a diet, some things to eat, that, that went against the, uh, the, the convictions of conscience for Daniel. And it just says, he determined in his heart not to defile himself. And so he, he wisely negotiated another deal. But here's the deal. He had already decided in his heart, I'm not going to compromise. His outward lifestyle was consistent with his inner convictions. Free, blameless, free from hypocrisy. And yet I fear and I see, it's heartbreaking here, fathers, that I've seen fathers when, who say we hold to the teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Scriptures when it comes to our children. The theology of children. In the Bible, children are not a bother they're not something to ruin our lives. The, the bearing of children is not separated from the joy uh, of married sexuality. The joy in the celebration of marriage sexuality and how it paints the picture of the gospel is not separated from procreation. Christians are to welcome children, always. And we, and we hold to that. And we say we believe in the sanctity of human life is described in the Scriptures, all human life, and human dignity that is tied to that because all humans are created in the image of God, including the unborn. And yet, when our daughters come to us sometimes and have found themselves pregnant out of wedlock, we quietly, with a pocket full of cash, He's over to an abortion clinic. That's called, comp that's called a divided heart. See, that's not, that's not God's ways. We say, oh, this child, this unborn child is a problem to be solved. No. No. My friend Rick Warren says this, there may be illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate children. And then, and then there's this great wound on the on the man who pays for this thing, and a great wound on the young woman who thinks, because of our culture, is deceived and thinks this is a you know the way to go. And then there's the terrible wound of the taking of the life of the innocent human being made in the image of God. See, there's there's how do we how do we keep from being people that are divided? We happily obey Jesus and submit to the power of His Holy Spirit. And over time, He gives us a good heart that works its way out into good, right, consistent, moral, and ethical living. We become good, good fathers. Good, good fathers with good hearts and pure inner lives. You see, when, when young men in our culture tend to get into trouble, young, especially young men, we tend to say, now he's, a good, now he's really a good boy. He's really a good young man. He just... He just did all these, he, he just did these bad things, made some mistakes. No, he was not, he's not good. <laughs> no, he's valuable, incredibly valuable, created in the image of God, loved by God, to be loved by us. But no, he's got a bad heart and he's doing bad things. He's not a good, he's not good. Stop, let's, let's speak accurately here. And when fathers 
Oh, my dad was good. I know he's good and he's good, but he just does these bad things. No, he's, no, he's not. He's not good. He doesn't have a good heart and he's doing bad things. He needs to be saved. He needs a new heart. He needs the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He needs to start, he needs to submit himself to Christ and be saved and then happily, joyfully obey Jesus and while Jesus then transforms him into a good, good father. Because he will do it. And guys, when you do this, when you trust in the power of the grace of God to be at work in you, both not only to desire, but to do what pleases God, you stand above the crowd. You rise above the crowd. You rise above the norm. You stand above the crowd. And he says, you will, look at verse 15, be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in in a crooked and perverted generation. Has there ever been a term that described our culture more right now? You'll, you'll, you'll be faultless among whom you will shine like stars in the world. There's a place I like to go. It's down on the panhandle of Florida. My family's been going there for years due to some gracious hospitality of some dear friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's on a part of the panhandle that's it's not commercial at all. You are away from light pollution at night. And it's... It, how many of you grew up way out in the country and you'd go out in the night and it's dark? I mean, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Ever been there? You've seen that? Not many of us. Look, two people over here. We're all city dwellers. You know, but we were down there in the fall and um, one night everybody had gone to sleep and uh, I decided, hmm, it was a dark night. The moon's not out. So I turned off the lights inside. I turned off the lights on the porch, stepped on the porch. I mean, it's dark. And I'm looking at, and there's just that I sit, this vast, literally a sea of darkness. And I'm thinking, ooh, that's kind of scary. And then I look, I couldn't see. I was under the under the eave of the porch, and I, so I stepped out from under the eave and looked up, and <gasps> man, I wanted everybody I knew to be there and see it. The Milky Way, the stars, startling. Brilliance against the dark of the night. He says, if you live a life of happily obeying Jesus without grumbling or complaining and yield yourself to the transforming power of His grace and Holy Spirit that He will create in you a pure inner life and a blameless outer life and you will stand out in this perverted and perverse culture like stars against a dark night. And and that's what He wants for all of you. And fathers, dads, that's what we need. That's what He wants for us. And then He says one more thing. And as you do, He says, hold firmly to the message of life. Because we have been transformed by the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That Jesus stepped out of heaven, not considering equality with God something to be clutched greedily but humbled himself, taking on the form of a man and was obedient all the way to death on the cross in our place for our sins, because of our sins, atoning perfectly for all of our sins. And three days later, he rose from the dead and is alive today to offer to you and to me and everybody in the world his saving power, his saving grace. He says, don't stop. Don't forget the gospel Dads, hold firmly to the message of life. 
pounded into the heads of your kids, your spouse, your friends, your neighbors. Be relentless because everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs this transformation. He's the hope of the world. He's the hope of the world. And he's a good one. And he's sufficient. Hey, listen, the Supreme Court, and, you know, the Electoral College, none of those guys can put Jesus back into a tomb in Jerusalem. Don't worry about this stuff. There's a God. His name is Jesus. He has our hearts. He's going to accomplish his purposes. And he says, and if you want, hey, you want to be on the team? Come join me. I'll turn you into one who shines like stars against the night. Admired by God and admired by your sons and daughters. Pray with me. Pray with me. Some of you would say, well, Keith, how do I have this life? Well, it's back to what I've already told you. You need to be saved. You need to do two things. Repent of your sins, which means you acknowledge your sinfulness. You grieve it. You want to turn away from it. And you acknowledge that you have offended a holy God by living in revolt against His rule in your life. And you turn to Him through Jesus, trusting in Jesus and His death on the cross and resurrection as sufficient alone to pay for your sins. And you ask Him to apply that to you personally. You ask Him to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, and to the best of your ability, submit control of your life in eternity to Jesus. And then, as He has transformed you, you now happily obey Him, so that as you do, He puts you in the position to be transformed from the inside out, give you a pure heart and a blameless life. Others of you who are already followers of Jesus, we need to be reminded of these things. And so, let's just make a recommitment to say, Lord Jesus, I forgive me for my grumbling and arguing with you about any point of obedience. And now will you be at work in me, as you say in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13? Will you be at work in me to motivate and enable me both to desire and to do what pleases you by remembering your great love for me. And as I do obey you and do what pleases you, would you turn me into a person who is blameless and pure? One who is faultless in this crooked and perverted generation among whom that I might shine like a star against a dark night. Your assignment, those of you men who are already Christians, is to internalize this passage, memorize it, chew on it, digest it, pray it, make it your own prayer, and then align your life accordingly this week. So Lord, thank you that you did not leave moral and spiritual foul-ups like us to be in outer darkness but that you made a way by your death on the cross and resurrection from the dead for us to become your sons and your daughters. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword Dogwood to 779-77 or click the Give link online. 
You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more.